So on this, for the Sunday group, uh, I've been, I said this last week, I, we've been announcing that on March 31st, the day that Christianity celebrates the resurrection of Jesus, we're going to have a grand opening, reopening service there on, for the Sunday group. And as we progress towards this, there are a few new things that will be happening on Sunday. I announced some, some of them this past Sunday. I'll announce some more of this tomorrow. Uh, so one thing we're going to do is, uh, I mentioned this, it's actually in the announcements for those that love soaking worship, uh, for every March, every Sunday in March, prior to this event, there's four Sundays in March prior to the event, there's five Sundays in March in total, four prior, uh, I'm not going to give a sermon on Sundays, we're just going to have soaking worship just in preparation to unify us prior to this event. So anybody that loves soaking, appreciates a soaking worship service, please come out on the Sunday, and please also come out on March 31st. And one other thing that I'm doing on Sunday leading up to it, in the remaining Sundays in February, which is just tomorrow and the next one, I'll be giving sermons devoted to our Mishkan Devi Tenets of Faith, just so the folks there, our family on Sunday that attend the Sunday service, uh, will understand and learn more about what we believe as a congregation. So um, I said this last week that I ain't writing two sermons. So you're getting the, the tenets also that I'm going to be sharing tomorrow. Uh, last week, I spoke about Mishkan David's support for Israel and the birth of Messianic Judaism. Today, I speak more theologically. I'll speak about our tenets that pertain to the Word of God and the nature of God. So tenet number one, our first tenet out of 12, you can see them all on the Mishkan David website, is written as follows. We believe that the Bible consists of both the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew scriptures, and the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. We believe it is the complete written revelation of the righteousness of God and the description of the lifestyle and standards of the redeemed community. It is the only inspired, God-breathed, infallible, and authoritative word of God, which cannot be added to or subtracted from. This tenet speaks of the authority of the Word of God and the description of the lifestyle and standards of God's people. I will speak to both of these today. So about the Word of God, it's such a precious gift. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. The Word of God is a precious, valuable gift from the Lord God himself. When God created humanity, we learn quickly that humankind, humankind's tendency is towards evil. We messed it up in the garden. We messed it up at the flood. Before the flood, we messed it up at the Tower of Babel. And we keep messing up. But because we lean wicked, and over time, humanity will lean more and more wickedly, left to our own, our own morality will continue to go south. But God gave us a remedy. He gave us his precious word. He gave us in black and white his instruction manual for living on this planet in a way that's pleasing to him that will give us life and freedom and power and blessing. It's a glorious gift from God. Psalm 118, I'm sorry, Psalm 1830 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Yeshua said in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine 
and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The word of God is eternal. Like God, it has no beginning and no end. Yeshua said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The word of God is life and health. Psalm 107.20 says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. So what is the word of God and what isn't it? The word of God consists of what's called the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament. The Hebrew term for the Old Testament is Tanakh. The Hebrew word or the Hebrew term Tanakh is actually an acronym. It's common practice in Hebrew to create words out of an acronym. You know, kind of like we don't call the Space Administration, we don't call it the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. We call it NASA. It's a word out of an acronym. So Tanakh is the same thing. It's an acronym from the words Torah, which means word, I'm sorry, law, Nevi'im, which means prophets, and Ketuvim, like the Psalms, which means the writings. T, Torah, N, Netuvim, K, Ketuvim, the law, the prophets, the writings, you get Tanakh, Tanakh. It's a word out of an acronym. The Hebrew term for the New Testament is Brit Chadashah. This is the same Hebrew term used by Jeremiah when he prophesied about the future New Covenant. The division of the books into the Old Testament and the New Testament is a human construct. It's not how God sees his word. His word is one from beginning to end. No separation. At Mishkan David, we do not consider apocryphal books the word of God. There are various books and letters outside the standard canon of Scripture, both Jewish writings and Christian writings. Examples are the book of Jubilees, the books of Enoch, books of the Maccabees, the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Peter, got the Epistle of Barnabas, the Acts of Paul, and there are others. There are religious groups that view some of these as Scripture, Catholics, so Ethiopian Christians, but Mishkan David, as a tenet, views none of these as scripture. We can certainly glean wisdom and understanding or historical context from them, but we don't view them as scripture. So who decided that certain books were in the canon and some were out? Admittedly, it was man. It was theologians who did their very best, but we trust that God had his fingerprint on it. And I believe that is a slippery slope to believe that the apocryphal books are the word of God. It's a slippery slope. The same applies with the Jewish oral Torah called the Talmud. It's not the word of God. Rabbinic Judaism has a large compendium of traditions, instructions, and stories that's called the oral Torah, the oral Torah, or the Talmud. So what is that? The Torah says, the written Torah says, don't work on Shabbat. So what's work? What can I do? And what can I not do? Well, the oral Torah, the oral law, answers that question precisely for practicing Jews. Rabbinic Jews believe the oral Torah 
was given entirely to Moses at Mount Sinai along with the written Torah that we know from the Bible. Now, I am referring to normative rabbinic Orthodox Judaism. There are more fringe Jewish groups like the Karaites, which reject the oral Torah. Judaism views its Talmud not only as the word of God, but at a higher level than the word of God. This is actually the issue that, the, that Yeshua had with the Pharisees. The issue is not having a tradition. We all do. The issue is holding tradition higher than the word of God. So Mishkan Devi doesn't believe that the Talmud is the word of God, but being a Messianic Jewish synagogue, we do hold it in respect, similarly to how Christianity respects the writings of the church fathers. And whether you know it or not, we have adopted some of it. Why are our tzitzit tied this way? It's Talmudic. Why do we recite the Shema every service? It's Talmudic. And did you know that in Yeshua's last Passover Seder, the Last Supper, as it's called, has Talmudic elements? Drinking wine at the Seder, which Yeshua said symbolizes his blood, is actually Talmudic. It's not in the written word to drink wine at Passover. So as stated, Mishkan David, we show it respect here, uh, no differently than how Christians revere writings of the church fathers, but we do not view the Talmud as the authoritative word of God. The Bible explains what is sin, and this is immutable. Matthew 5, 17 to 19 says, Do not presume, this is Yeshua the Messiah talking, Do not presume that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of, of a letter shall pass from the Torah until all is accomplished. Some may say that all is accomplished is when he went to the cross, but he said, until heaven and earth pass away. He gave a detail of what that means. He continues, therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever teach, keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we at Mishkan David believe that the Torah is not abolished, now, some may say that the Torah, the, the laws of Moses, was abolished at the cross. This cannot be, according to the words that we just read from Yeshua himself. It simply cannot be. What was abolished was the punishment due us for breaking the law for those who believe in Yeshua's sacrifice and trust in that for our salvation. For us, he took the punishment upon himself for those who believe. For anyone that says that the law is actually done away with, I could point you to many scriptures in the New Testament writings where the apostles tell us to not commit adultery, not murder, honor your parents, employ justice, love our neighbors. All of this is Torah. If you're a Christian and you desire to live a life according to God's word, guess what? You are Torah observant. A whole lot more than you realize. The question of, is the Torah done away with, always resolves to the ceremonial aspects of the Torah. What to eat, what to, when the Sabbath is, what holidays to celebrate, what to wear. Adherence to these specific laws, as I always say, it's not an obligation to the Gentile Christians that have come into the faith, but as spiritual members of the commonwealth of Israel, it is an absolutely an invitation. And it's always been that way from the beginning. It's an invitation, not an obligation. 
You're invited to partake of your heritage. But at Mishkan David, you'll never be forced. Romans 14.5 says each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So again, the Mishkan David Ten in the Faith reads, we believe that the Bible, consisting of both the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, the New Covenant, is the written, complete revelation of the righteousness of God and the description of the lifestyle and standards of the redeemed community. It is the only inspired, God-breathed, infallible, and authoritative word of God which cannot be added to or subtracted from. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Luke 11.28 says, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Matthew 7.24 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And John 1, 1 1-3 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. And those verses are a great segue into our next tenets, which are tenets two through four, which are about the nature of God, about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The tenets read, we believe in one God, Our Heavenly Father, as he has revealed himself in the scriptures, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. We believe that the Messiah is spoken of in the scriptures in terms that only belong to God. Yeshua is divine, the eternal Messiah in whom dwells the fullness of God. He is the word who became flesh, the uniquely begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. And we believe the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, Comforts, teaches, disciplines, empowers, and equips all those he inhabits. So does this mean that we at Mishkan David believe in the Trinity? The answer is yes. We believe in God our Father. We believe that Yeshua is God. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God. And we believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. But any honest Biblical theologian will admit to this, and this is very much in line with Trinity doctrine, so don't be spooked by what I'm about to say. Any honest biblical biblical theologian will admit to this. Nowhere in the Bible, in the Old or New Testaments, does it explicitly say that God is a Trinity. The term Trinity is nowhere in the Bible. It doesn't say that God is three, or three in one, or triune in nature. While the precepts of the Trinity doctrine are biblical, And we believe them at Mishkan David. The Trinity is an implied doctrine or an inferred doctrine rather than an explicit one. It's a theological conclusion about the nature of God looking at the scriptures in totality about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
And it's a perfectly sound and good conclusion. It makes sense. It's valid. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Even though the context of this verse is not necessarily about the nature of God, that verse is arguably the Bible's best proof text of God's triune nature. But when it comes to the nature of God in both the Old and New Testaments, the Bible describes God's nature in one way. The Lord is one. Adonai Echad. From the Torah, when it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. To the Gospels in Mark 1229, where Yeshua stated that that commandment, the Shema, is the most important commandment. He said the most important one is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. To the prophets, Zechariah 14.9, we, we recite it every week. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord shall be one, and his name one. All the way to the apostolic letters, James writes in, in, his, in his letter 2.19, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So do we, do I believe in the Trinitarian nature of God? Yes. I draw the same conclusion, that God is one. That's his biblical nature, and that is consistent with Trinity doctrine, that God's plurality does not contradict his oneness. We believe in God as the Father. All throughout the Bible, God reveals himself as the Father. He wants to be known as your Father, not just your Father as your Creator, which he is, but so much more. God the Father loves you fiercely. He protects you. He defends you, guards you. He's your shield, your shelter, your safety. Deuteronomy 1.31 says, You saw how the Lord your God carried you just as a man carries his son. God your Father carries you as a father carries his child. He holds you when you're tired. He soothes you. When you're sick, he comforts you when you're in need. He provides for you when you're in hardship. Psalm 103.13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God, your father, is merciful and kind. He seeks only and always for your good. 1 John 3.1 says, See how great a love the father has given us? that we would be called children of God. God wants you to know him as your father for, and for you to know without a doubt that you are his child. He loves you as a good father would. He disciplines you as a good father would. He lavishes you with gifts as a good father would. All good and perfect gifts come from above, from the father of heavenly lights, James 1.17. And of course, Yeshua said in John 10.30, of himself, I and the Father are one. Which brings us to Yeshua and his nature as the Mashiach and the Son of God. We at Mishkan believe that Yeshua is God. Not just divine. Yeshua is divine, but saying that he's just divine can be mistrans mistranslated and it can diminish his status as God. Let me explain. Second Peter 1.4 says that we are partakers of the divine nature. But we're not God. The Tanakh, the Old Testament, 
alludes to a Messiah who is also deity. Daniel 7.14 says, And to him was given dominion and honor and kingdom, so that all the peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might worship him. Even the Jewish commentators write that this is about the King Messiah. And the New Testament is absolutely clear. Any sincere reading of the New Testament would conclude that Yeshua is God. John 8, 58, Yeshua said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Hebrews 1, 3 says, He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Colossians 1, 16 to 17 says, For by him, Yeshua, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And there are many, many other scriptures in the Brit Chadashah, the New Testament, that articulate the deity of the Messiah and that he's one with his Father. Just as God the Father wants you to know that you are his child, the Messiah wants you to know that you are his bride. Ephesians 5.31, Paul says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He continues, The mystery is great, but I am talking about Messiah and his community, his church. Yeshua, who fulfills all law and all prophets, he's the one who left father and mother to become one with his bride, you. How did he do this? On the cross, Yeshua said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the moment where he left his father. Man shall leave his father. He then handed his mother, Mary, or Miriam, to the disciple John. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. That's the moment he left his mother. Left father? And left his mother. In fact, when Yeshua said on the cross, it is finished. What's the Hebrew term that he used? We don't know for sure because the earliest manuscript we have is in Greek. But there's one Hebrew word that says that something is completely and utterly finished, ended. And that word is kala. We see it in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Tanakh in reference to a complete and total destruction of something. Isaiah 10, 23 says, For a complete destruction, kala, is determined the Lord of armies will execute it in the midst of the whole land. This is the Hebrew word, perhaps, that Yeshua spoke on the cross, telling us that sin is completely and utterly destroyed. But the Hebrew word kala also has another meaning. It's the same word for bride. So it's possible when he left father, father, why, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he left mother, John, behold your mother. When he said, it is finished, it is possible that he said, kala. And in that moment, he was calling out for his bride. Speaking of Yeshua's tenets of faith, it would not be complete without stating that Yeshua died as we sang as Kiara our 14-year-old worship leader, sang 
He died so he can make his dwelling within us. So we can operate not just as ourselves in this world, but as him in this world. 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is, so are we in this world. John 17, 22 says, the glory you gave me, I have given to them. So they may be as one as we are one. This doesn't mean that we are God. Yeshua is God and we are not. But we lose our natural identity and we gain his supernatural identity when he lives within us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with the Messiah. It's no longer I that live, but the Messiah that lives within me. Messiah in you is the hope of glory. May in all aspects of our lives, may our first fleshly identity die more and more and our new identity of Yeshua within us rise up in this hour. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh. When Yeshua was, given his fi- was, giving, was giving his final discourse to his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion, they were obviously upset that their Lord was about to leave them. But Yeshua encouraged them. He told them that while he is leaving, they will not be alone. John 14, 26, Yeshua told his disciples, The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I love that. It's important to note that the New Testament writings call the Holy Spirit a he, not an it. This is why we believe here that the Holy Spirit is God. The Spirit of God is mentioned right in the beginning. Genesis 1 says the earth was formless and desolate and darkness was over the surface of the deep and Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the surface of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Here we see that pluralistic nature of God in action. The Spirit was hovering over the waters. God says, let there be light. It's the same Spirit of God which enters into us when we believe in Yeshua. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So why do we need the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit? Well, the Ruach convicts us of sin. John 16 verse 8 says, when he comes, the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Ruach teaches us about God. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the the Spirit of God. Spiritual gifts are given to us through the Holy Spirit. Attributes of the Holy Spirit are the gifts, wisdom, knowledge, power. And they are manifested in our lives for the good of others. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11 lists some of the many wonderful spiritual gifts that can be given to us when we have the Spirit of God within us. The Holy Spirit is our legal mark of adoption as God's children. Just as you might, just as an analogy, you might make a deposit or a down payment on a new car. 
so you make sure that the salesperson doesn't sell it to anyone else. You know what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is a deposit in our lives, confirming that we belong to the Messiah and no one else. Not the devil, not the world, not anyone else. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, leads us on the path of righteous living, helps us avoid the trappings of sin and the flesh, and enables us to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So in conclusion, again, the tenets read, we believe in one God, our Heavenly Father, as he has revealed himself in the Scriptures, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We believe that Messiah is spoken of in the Scriptures in terms only belonging to God. Yeshua is divine, the eternal Messiah, in whom dwells the fullness of God. He is the Word who became flesh, the uniquely begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. And we believe the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, comforts, teaches, disciplines, empowers, and equips all those he inhabits. In conclusion, if anyone here does not think that they have the Holy Spirit within them, even if you believe in Yeshua, please let me or the prayer team know after service. And we will lay hands on you, anoint you with oil, and impart the Holy Spirit into you. You can believe in Yeshua but not have the Holy Spirit. We see this with a group of Samaritan believers in Acts 8. Verse 16 and 17 say, For he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Yeshua. You get it? They were baptized. They were immersed in the Lord Yeshua. But the Holy Spirit hasn't fallen on them yet. It's possible to to be a believer and not have the Holy Spirit. Then they, the apostles, began began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. That's you, or you think it's you. Come forward. Vital in this hour. Don't go out there without the Holy Spirit. If anyone here has never accepted Yeshua, the Son of God, if you've never repented of your sins and accepted his sacrifice of himself as your Atonement for sin. You've never accepted that. And you wish to do so. Again, please let me or the prayer team know after service. And we'll pray salvation over you and welcome you into the kingdom of God. So next week, on Sunday, (laughs) I will conclude the series with a sermon about our Mishkan Devi tenets of faith around atonement and salvation.